Because we are actually going to be in a somewhat uphill battle due to how grounded the norms is. The status quo in the legal profession is so hard to fight against. This is actually the first time in over 150 years that something like this is possible. It has never once been possible before, and we find ourselves on the forefront of a potential magnificent change in the legal community, but it needs to be done with care, and it needs to be done with the ability behind you. Hello and welcome to Fringe Legal, your source of snackable bites on innovation, transformation, and knowledge management relating to the legal profession. In previous editions of the newsletter, as well as the podcast, I've been lucky enough to speak to a number of people who are focused on making legal services more accessible to the general public. It is a very difficult problem to solve, which is why I'm excited to have Avinash Pillay, Avi, as he likes to be called, the COO and Chief Legal Engineer on the show. There is a saying that obsession follows curiosity and results follow obsession. When I first met Avi about a week or so ago, his passion and obsession with solving the access to justice problem was just spectacular. So let's go ahead and meet Avi. My name is Avi and I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Mouthpiece Law. I also am the Head of Legal Engineering, which is just a jumbled up title to say that I handle, handle a lot of problem solving and a lot of business-oriented decisions that we found ourselves as a business facing because of the unique not-for-profit nature that we're going for. We'll dig into the nitty-gritty of things shortly, but to set the stage, Mouthpiece Law is looking to use their technology to demonstrate the streamlined, equitable, and decentralized future of legal aid. What may not be apparent until I point it out is that the entire team is made up of law students. So Mouthpiece Law is a student-run not-for-profit. We started operating in approximately February of 2021. We're a group of students with varied backgrounds. So myself, I'm a law student. I'm entering my third year of law school at the Queen's Faculty of Law in September. We're joined by several other law students on our board, as well as researchers, writers, technical writers, business professionals, the whole lot that we needed to build a legal technology company that was for the people and catered towards access to justice. And so Mouthpiece Law came about after Yunhyun Cho, who was our CEO, kind of brought together a group of like-minded students. We realized that we both had a passion for using technology and using problem solving and engineering mindsets to solve legal issues in the middle of everything that access to justice has become a forgotten issue, despite the public kind of giving up on legal aid for the most part over the last few decades. We shared a vision that there is a different way of doing this. Our entire board collectively noticed that legal services in general are just too expensive for regular people who need the help to afford. And we realized that instead of looking towards profits, if you were to look between the expenses and the ability to reduce overhead costs, that instead the kind of same business model could be applied to reduce the price of legal services for the middle class. We had this vision together, no real idea of how to make that a reality. So we brought together the group and we just started talking. We started talking about what our gripes were with the legal system and how we could best address that if we were to start a not-for-profit and really focus on the people, focus on their needs and focus on ways that legal technology can actually address the legal gap and the barrier created by access to justice. Once the group identified that there was a problem to solve, 
there is still that important step of doing something about it. Perhaps the most important step. Avi and others knew that a popular conference, Collision, was coming up soon. And if only they could pitch the platform, they knew that it would get certainly a high level of attention. And who knows what could happen from there. Once we knew what the problem was that we were trying to solve, we started thinking about ways that we could solve the problem without causing harm to either side. And of course, this is a very utopian concept. Typically, there's a tug of war between providers of services and the people who purchase them, at the very least in terms of money, that to get a better service, you typically have to pay more. And that if you were to request legal aid in, in Ontario, for example, you have to meet certain government legal aid cutoffs that are just unattainably low. And so this kind of created this zero-sum game situation. We saw a collision upcoming in a couple of months, and we started to think, hey, how can we make the biggest bang in the industry to make people start thinking about legal aid and to start thinking about, hey, can legal technology actually serve a societal and a humanitarian purpose to actually just make legal aid more accessible or to make legal services more accessible, more agile, and just more reliable in general so that people can actually rely on it when they need help. And so Collision was quickly upcoming and we had to think of ways that we as an in-house software team could actually address this gap. And the first thing that we started thinking about is funding, of course, because funding is such a tremendous issue. And we realized that Collision would be a really good place for us to start talking and engaging with venture capitalists and angel investors to see what their outlook is on all of this. And it gave us an amazing window into the inner thoughts of venture capitalists, but also what we can and can't do with a not-for-profit model. One of the things a lot of founding teams struggle with is putting constraints around this area. Following Pareto's law and figuring out what 20% of the work will result in 80% of the outcome can really be a good guiding principle. We know that we can try to address legal aid, but on the other side of things, we know that there are many more lawyers that are willing to actually help out if there's a little bit of money to be made. And so it's, there's two evils to think about. One is that we can go fully not-for-profit and maybe address 20% of the market, or we can go for-profit and try to address the entire market. But then, of course, risk having to sell equity to venture capitalists that might not care very much about legal aid or student professional development. And so this was the conundrum we faced. And we turned to overhead costs. We started to do research, and this was very much a skill we developed at the Confit Analytics Lab which is how do you take a very large and very difficult to solve problem and break it down into small parts that can be addressed individually. And this is a mindset that, that, that comes from engineering. It comes from a variety of fields where problem solving is just so important. And so we took a step out of our lawyer's shoes to try and think really just from a problem solving mentality. What is the pain point that we can address without detrimenting either side? One approach here is practicing empathy really listening to what problems are both sides looking to solve, trying to figure out the assumptions that people may be making in why things haven't already been solved and what some of the obstacles might be in getting to the solution. And so overhead costs were the first place that we looked because we realized that overhead costs are a huge reason why legal prices are as high as they are. That law firms, when a lawyer charges X amount as their billable rate, a huge portion of the amount of money that the law firms make is lost to overhead costs. 
that legal technology can actually address. It can make things more efficient. It can reduce the amount of paper that you need to use. It can reduce the amount of memberships a law firm might need to use. And it can also summate their legal research into one product that isn't as expensive. And so it comes down to expense reduction, which is something that is done very commonly in business. Yeah. But we realized that if we could reduce expenses to the point that a law firm can actually charge 60% of their original cost without affecting their bottom line, then that would actually open up legal services to the middle and to the lower class because lawyers would be willing to provide those services because they're not losing any money. At the same time, the public, they can actually access those services. They can actually reach them and they can afford to pay for them. And so that's where we started. And that was much of our pitch at Collision was creating software that could facilitate and so we started off with the Mouthpiece Law Community, which is a community for free legal information. Legal information is when you verbatim ask a question that can be answered with the law or with the statute without having to spin that around based on the facts that the person who was asking the yeah. question is giving. Under the supervision of a licensed review council, law students actually have the ability to help the public with legal information questions. And we've also found, and this is very much through anecdote, that much of the legal needs that the public has is in the legal information side. They just yeah. have a, you know, like that, that itching legal question that Google might not help with, that they're getting di differing answers from other places. A, a legal information question that's written by a law student and verified by a review council can do much of the work. And that the public, they might actually never have to spend a penny on legal services if, there's, if their question is simply a legal information mm -hmm. question. But we realize that legal information actually carries a tremendous force and the ability to actually help a lot of the problems that the general public is facing. So we started there. We built the Mouthpiece Law community as a very simple, very UI pleasant way of people just logging in. They can ask their questions and they can have a reasonable and relatively useful answer from a law student. And then from there, they can actually decide what they want to do with their case. And we thought that was our point of entry. That was where we thought that we could help people right now, right here and then with their simplest questions. And then we started to branch off from there. I think it's important to call out that both during the ideation stage and the solution crafting stage that the mouthful mouth that the mouthpiece law team is looking at multiple options. As you hear, as you'll hear, as you heard, solving for overhead costs was just one of the first things that the team explored. And similarly, as they state as they started focusing on problem solving, they thought about coming up with different solutions focused on who's really feeling the pain. The community-based aspect makes it easy for the general public, but what about the technologists, the technology companies, and the lawyers? Before focusing on that, it's really important to understand why the current way may not be suitable. Our board had a varied experience with legal aid, but ultimately we all had the same problems with the current legal aid system. And we felt that the legal aid task force could address this very well. And so the problems that we identified were firstly in the use of technology or rather the lack thereof, because in, in legal aid, you often hear this told directly to clients that you're picking two out of three options. The first is to have a high quality legal product. The second is to have a low cost legal product. And the third is to get that legal product quickly. And you're told that you can only pick two out of the three. Legal aid is a high quality product that is very much low in cost. It's, at, it's for the most part free aside from the direct cost of the service, but it is extremely slow. And we actually wanted to look into that. We wanted to figure out why is legal aid so slow? What are the encumbrances that are making it this slow? 
there are also a lot of slow and antiquated processes. One is the way that review is handled, for example, in legal aid. And, and that is that you only have one student handling each case and you have one review council supervising 20 to 25 students. Yeah. And so that actually serves as a bottleneck because you'll, you'll, you'll see this in practice that law students actually do their work fairly quickly. These are not huge or massive due diligence matters that require a lot of drafting or a lot of legal work. And so typically, let's say a client were to come to me for a shareholder agreement in a legal aid context, I would have that shareholder agreement ready for them in, let's say, three to four days. But then I'm waiting one month or more for review to be able to send that to the client because there are 20 other students throwing their own legal work into the bucket to be reviewed by one single review council. And so the legal aid task force concept, we took inspiration from SWAT. And the reason we took inspiration from the organization of a SWAT team is that a SWAT team is actually very similar in the sense that they have to address a very emotional and very pressing situation as quickly and as calculated as possible. And so we liken that to legal aid. We realize that when somebody goes to legal aid, they need help and they need help quickly. And if they don't get that help quickly, the help itself is not very useful to them. This is where all the pieces started to fit together. The team formed lateral partnerships with legal technology companies and law firms. For the legal tech providers, this is a way to expose the tools to the next generation of lawyers, corporate counsels, and even more. For students, it's a no-brainer. I remember from my days at law school, you are just clamoring to get your hands on any case, any practical work you can get. And in this case, you're actually learning really important skills as well as technologies that likely you won't be taught in most law schools. I know there are exceptions. And this also brings about a subtle but important point. What the Mouthpiece Law team is trying to do is bring about an important shift in the legal delivery model. They're doing this through the formation of these task forces, which are scalable, agile, responsible, responsive, which are scalable, agile, responsive, and distributed. So a single task force is one review council paired with nine law students. And the point of the task force is for it to be remote and to be extremely future proof so that these task forces can actually respond to situations as quickly as possible. But what's unique about these task forces and what's unique about how Mouthpiece Law has structured itself is that despite being a not-for-profit, we actually form our partnerships laterally. And so we look for legal technologies, perhaps startup legal technologies that are new and upcoming but very good at what they do. We seek out these partnerships to propose to these legal technology companies that we have something to offer them despite being a not-for-profit. And so in return, for example, for a legal technology company to let us use their legal technologies specifically for equipping these task force, we offer them advertising and marketing benefits, as well as the benefit of being able to say that they are working with a student-run grassroots not-for-profit that is very much trying to use their technologies for the betterment of society. And so in, a, in an age where corporate social responsibility is so important, we actually think that this is a tremendous benefit that we can offer to legal technology companies, especially those that are up and coming. We find that getting exposure and being able to cement yourself as being different is quite difficult in legal technology. And I think one way of doing that is to work with students, work with the public, and to think of ways that your legal tech 
can actually be used for the betterment of certain humanitarian causes or things that people genuinely need help in. By the way, if you're enjoying listening to this episode, please consider subscribing to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. You can find it at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's free and provides a weekly dose of snackable information on innovation, transformation, and KM. As I listen to Avi tell the story and referencing things like the in-house legal technology teams, I kept thinking to myself, he sounds just like a seasoned pro, like he's done this a couple of times. But in the back of my mind, I also had this thought of, he's a student. How did he know what to do? How did they figure this all out? So I asked him, yeah, what was your source of inspiration? How did you actually find your way, what needed to be done and how to get it done? Yeah, it was, it's actually very much related to our individual backgrounds. We come from a varied background as lawyers, but most of us come from a STEM background. And so for myself, I did my honors bachelor's of science at McMaster with a research focus on astrophysics for the most part. But one of my greatest passions outside of law school was actually coding and programming. And so in high school, that was one of my biggest things that I would do after school, before school and during school. And so I actually worked with Theory 6 Robotics in high school and brought a world robotics championship under my belt that kind of, you know, it gave me that push of confidence that I needed to know that I have the expertise to think like an engineer. Because I find that law students, when they reach that kind of technical barrier, that's when they give up. Mm -hmm. And we would have given up if we didn't think that we're the only ones that can try. And so we realized that we just have to try. And so we brought together a group of law students that have backgrounds in programming, that have backgrounds in computer science, and also have a good grasp of the current suite of legal technology to understand how they work. And this kind of manifested in our first pilot of an in-house software solution, which was my lawyer profile. With that out of the way, let's get back to the main story. So things are starting to take shape. The the team has figured out what's not working and why. They have some ideas on how to solve for it. And now comes the real challenge that every tech company dreads, maintaining user engagement. And also, I think the law students in general, they're very passionate people that really do want to give back, especially in in today's age. You find a lot of people inspired to study law because of humanitarian issues that they hold close to their chest. And so when when the applications go out, normally during course selection for the legal aid clinics, a legal aid clinic will take 20 to 25 students and you'll have 80 to 90 students applying for them. And so the question becomes, what happens to those 60 to 65 students that are rejected by legal aid clinics? And the answer is typically nothing. These are students that want to give back and they want to actually learn and develop substantive legal skills, but there is just no way for them to do that. And I think that's quite unfortunate considering how much the public could actually use their help. And that's where we we see mouthpiece law coming in. We see a pain point in students in that they actually want to be able to develop substantive skills There are many ways of doing that, and mouthpiece law can actually provide that to them. But beyond the standard resume building services that any job can provide, we want to make sure that this is engaging for students and that they feel rewarded for what they do. And that's where gamification comes into everything. We applied gamification not only to mouthpiece law community, only to all of our in-house software solutions like my lawyer profile, but also to the legal aid task force. So that lawyers and law students, as they do work, as they gather points, as they gather these unique badges that they know 
they, they are the only person that has it because they are the only person that has done the work that they have done. We're actually value creating for students. We're making sure that they're having fun with the work that they're doing, that they're agile and they're remote so they could be working from home in bed and actually helping people out. They could be on a beach sipping a drink and also just be doing work and helping people out. And it's agile and remote, but it's also very rewarding for the law students that can help, especially when they can, they can see the outcome of the case and they can see the full life cycle of a case, which is something that is very hard to come across when you're learning in law school. How is, how is the task force put into practice? So how does that work? We created a system where mouthpiece law could be that one-stop shop for any member of the general public that has a legal question or a legal need and really doesn't know where to go with it. And so if you would enter mouthpiece law, you would probably look at our community first and you would have that kind of start off legal question that you would ask and the legal information would pique your interest. So it would make you realize that, hey, I might have a case and I should speak to an attorney. The next step is typically one of two. The first option is if you do qualify for Ontario's legal aid cutoff, then we can actually do this officially. We can, our, our board is able to assist the user for free of cost with actually applying for and seeking out official government subsidized legal aid. If that is successful, then they will come back to Mouthpiece Law with the ability to use our task force to acquire that objective if they're not the biggest fan of the traditional legal aid mechanism. Option B is for people who don't qualify for government subsidized legal aid. That's where we are actually looking and we've been collecting attorneys who are genuinely passionate about these cases. These are pro bono cases that we've categorized into different areas. And this is what's really unique about task forces is that they're so malleable. A task, force, a task force can be named or unnamed. They can be permanent or they can be temporary. They can be specialized towards one area of the law, for example, family law, or they can be generalist. They can just be dealing with general issues like our mouthpiece law community task force. That is actually handled by a task force, which is how we're able to actually respond to those questions and make sure that we're providing quality answers in a timely fashion. So this is us putting our money where our mouth is that we want to show the public that this task force concept really does work. And so what's great about it is that they're entirely remote. And so we as a board can actually provide assistance that other legal aid communities would not be able to. So we're able to equip each task force with the latest and greatest in legal technology for free of cost because of those lateral partnerships that I had mentioned earlier. In addition to that, we can actually cater the technologies that we give to each task force specific to the legal problems that they're addressing. So a family law task force, for example, would, would, would very much benefit from divorce mate, which is a very common legal technology used in uncontested divorces, but they would not benefit as much from, let's say, a business law contract lifecycle manager. As we start to wrap up, keep in mind that the mouthpiece law team, young, they're doing this under a lot of pressure, but they are focused and have big dreams. Their focus is currently in, in Ontario, Canada, and they also have a trial going on in South Africa. So I asked Avi, what's he looking for? What could the listeners of the show, all of you, what could you help them with? I think the, this is a situation that the listeners of Print Legal in particular are very well set to help with because what we're looking for is exposure. We're not looking for money. We're not looking for the ability to get into that venture capital circles. Rather, what we're looking for is we're looking for legal technology companies. If you're willing to help with legal aid and you're willing to offer your product to mouthpiece law to use 
in a legal aid context, we want to hear from you because we can most definitely put your hard work to use in a way that your that your technology is helping people. In addition to that, we can absolutely discuss how mouthpiece law is able to help market and benefit your company because we genuinely want our partners to be recognized for the good that they're doing. Additionally, if you're a listener and you think that there is a need for a change in legal aid, you believe that a legal aid task force concept would better address it than the current system, is to reach out to us and let us know. Because we are going to be in a somewhat uphill battle due to how grounded the norms is. The status quo in the legal profession is so hard to fight against. And we're actually waiting for a regulatory approval in October under the Law Society of Ontario's Technology Sandbox. This is actually the first time in over 150 years that something like this is possible. It has never once been possible before. And we find ourselves on the forefront of a potential magnificent change in the legal community, but it needs to be done with care and it needs to be done with a village behind you. And so when we approach the Law Society in October and we propose this to them and we continue trying to develop a change in the actual fundamental structure of legal aid, we need to bring them proof that this will work. And to do that, we need legal technologies behind us to show that, hey, we actually have technologies that want to help. And we also need members of the public behind us telling the law society, like, this is what we want and this is what we want to try. So please let them try it. And so we need any help that we can get in that regard. And to just absolutely make it clear that we are open to any form of contact and that our board is willing to support any options that can help make this concept a reality and to continue growing it going forward. Thank you for listening so much to the show. I'll echo the ask that Avi made. Please go and share this episode and the work that the Mouthpiece Law team are doing with as many people as possible, especially if you know someone who lives in Canada, is studying in Canada, or practices in Canada, tag them if you see a post on social media. If after listening to the episode, you're feeling inspired, I asked Avi what advice he would share. His advice is focused on law students, but I think is equally valuable to all. The best advice I can give to a law student that is in that situation would be to just be malleable and to be an active listener and to pay attention to what other people are doing. Our impetus for actually doing this ourselves was realizing that nobody else was willing to do it. The, the best thing that we did was that we actually talked to other law students and quickly realized that every law student would be interested in something like this, but not every law student would be willing to put in 12 hours a day into business development into making this an actual thing. And so once we realized that, we understood that somebody has to do it. Otherwise, legal aid will stay as it is indefinitely. And so we just at one point said, you know what, screw it, let's just make this happen. And so we, we started simple. We started as a not-for-profit. We started as a very small board and we started just brainstorming. So this is that genesis stage, but that genuinely is how it starts. It starts with that small fire in your head. And once you find that passion that you would truly believe in and that you want to follow, you set your heart up you do everything that you enjoy because you like doing it, not because it feels like a chore. I'll end with the thought I had at the beginning, which is results follow obsession. Start with a small fire, put in the hard work and make it grow. This episode was created for Fringe Legal and produced by yours truly, Abhijat Saraswath. Special thanks to Avi for coming on the show. If you like this episode, then consider subscribing to the newsletter at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free and includes a whole bunch of extras. 
just to keep your mind going. Until next time, thank you for listening.